The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. All right, guys, I just want to take some time and give a huge shout out to Lion Country Supply, Joe Plody, and my beautiful, wonderful wife, Ashley. Um, so recently I had some items stolen from me out of my truck and between the three of them, they made sure that I got back up on deck. Um, there were a number of supplies that were really, really important to me. Um, my Pro 550 Plus, my pinch collars, two that I use, the two pinch collars I use, my, uh, um, my blank pistol, just a number of things. So I just want to say uh, a special shout out to Lion Country Supply, Joe Plody and Ashley. Um, guys, it's about a village, man. Like this, this community is just awesome. Um, and I'm so glad and so blessed to have the support that I have. Also, I want to thank my other sponsors, Yukonuba Sporting Dog. You know that's the best food out there on the market. Keep your dog running for the rest of the season, guys. Keep it going. Uh, Dakota 283 Kennels. Guys, check them out. Um, get yourself a, and, and your dog a good little Christmas gift. Um, Garmin, make sure that you guys check out, like I was just saying, that Pro 550 Plus is my personal favorite device, and I've seen a few others. Um, you know, just just make sure, guys, that you put something up under the tree for your look for for, for your little puppy, man, and 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 keep everybody happy. Um, also, one last update: I finally flushed a North Carolina rough grouse. Um, I'll have to tell you about the story and all of that stuff in another episode of the podcast. Um, and also a little bit about my guiding experience. We got Vegas on the ground, so that's a whole nother episode. But um, today, man, we are going to be speaking with Rick Abuso, okay? And I want to thank Jerry and Provento Field Dog Imagery for getting me connected. So eh, this is a good episode, guys. I need to give a slight apology for the little bit of echo that y'all might hear. I didn't realize how Close my phone was to the microphone at a time in certain parts, but for the most part, it should be all right, guys. So just check out this episode. Stay tuned in in, in there with me, and let's get to rocking and rolling. Erica Fuso from the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. This is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast, and I am on the line with Mr. Rick Afuso. Many of y'all have already heard of him, seen him. Um, he's done a lot of great things for Project Upland, and Rick, from what I understand, your dog is even the cover of the Project Upland book. <laughs> yeah, that that's Bruce. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, let's, let's go ahead and get into the nitty-gritty of it, man, like... Tell us about, you know, your background, upbringing, where are you from, and give us something interesting about your dogs. Let's start there. All right. Well, thanks for having me tonight, Darrell. I'm looking forward to this. Yes, sir. So, uh, Brittany. I've been around Brittany's. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. So that would have been about 1969. Right. 
and I have pretty much had a Brittany almost every year of my life. Not necessarily hunted them all, but I've had one as a pet companion. Now, I dabbled in my earlier years of trying to train dogs and hunt, but I was more into big game hunting, mm-hmm. as was you know my dad, his friends, family, grandfather. And that's kind of you know where it was then. Okay. And the oh, serious okay. stuff with the Brittany started about late 80s, early 90s. I've got, got a dog that's actually great-grandma to the dogs I have right now. Really? Okay. So None of it was intentional. It was just, you know, stuff I enjoyed, what I did. But uh, now I pretty much put down the bow, put down the gun, and, well, the rifle. Big game hunting. I haven't done that in about nine years. Okay. Anything outdoors, it's with the dogs and the birds and a gun. Okay. 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 So what what is it like, I guess, having that background and your grandfather going back? What do you think the major differences are from the dogs back then to the dogs that we have now? I hear that a lot, but you've literally seen the whole process. So what is that like? So I, I, I don't think dogs are much different today than they were, let's say, when I was a kid. I don't want to go back too mm-hmm. much further than that because I wasn't here. I think our, our knowledge, ability, methods, the training, equipment, I think that's different. Social media. Yeah. Now, pretty much anything you want to know about a dog in the sporting dog world, we'll stick with that. You can find online, social media, books, videos, podcasts. Okay. It's out there. Yeah. But I do believe, you know, a dog's a dog. It's just what we've learned over the centuries, decades, till today. I think we're much more into the psyche of a dog, the mindset of a dog, reading of a dog. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been learning from Smiths and other pro trainers around the country. Right. right. Now, you, 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 you caught me right when I was thinking about it, but the mind, you say what now? I got ahead of you a little bit. Then. <laughs> I expect that. <laughs> Pulling my reins. <laughs> it is just fine. Look, like I said, I will let you go off on the, you know, whatever you got to do. Um, but, you know, when we talk about the psyche of the dog, um, I've really been into Delmar Smith's method and Rick Smith's new book. Um, I'm the type of trainer that I, I pull a little bit from probably four, probably major trainers. It'd be Delmar, um, a buddy of mine down here, Neil Carter, um, Moe Lindley, and Bud Moore. And a lot of those guys, I, I kind of have a culmination of training techniques that I've just adopted to myself. It's kind of like going to school. You got different classes. But one thing I like about the Smith method um, is it is very much so about the psyche of the dog, right? Like they stress that. And I've seen that in that book. And you also know them. <laughs> so let's get into like let's let's get into that and tell me what you think about that direction of, of how we're going with the dog. So I met Delmer Smith uh, in two thousand ten when I picked up my dog Oak, mm-hmm. nine years old, about nine and a half years old, from Ronnie Smith and his wife Susanna Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Delmar didn't know a real lot about him. I'd only been to one Smith seminar with Rick Smith prior to that at Lion Country in Pennsylvania. Yep. 
Um, but, you know, Delmar won't, he's a pretty humble guy, but I think he's very gifted. He's talented. It's, it's just natural what he, what he's come up with. He was raised around horses, cattle, and spending a day with that gentleman was really amazing. I think he's like 92, 93 now. I think 92, yeah. His mind really got into the behavior of a dog, the mindset, reading a dog. He's got a book out uh, written with him, written by Bill Tarrant with Delmar. Mm-hmm. I think it's called How to Train Your How to Train How to Train Your Gun Dog. So that book is my foundation. Like I use that as the baseline standard of, of how to work a dog, and I kind of uh, you know improvise from there. Mine also. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, spending time with Delmar, spending a couple of weeks out in Oklahoma, when I did pick up my pup at the time, I, I got out there when she was about seven weeks. I uh, spent near two weeks out there you know, just watching them work, training, you know, just getting acquainted with the puppy. Um, again, seeing Delmar a couple of times, it was, it was, I mean, he drove me around big cabin where they did all their field trials mm-hmm. back in his day. You know, Delmar was doing that back in the fifties. I don't know. You know. He's in the bird dog hall of fame as is his son, Rick Smith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I didn't really understand or know the presence I was in back then. Yeah. You know, nine, ten years later, and I've seen him a few times, a handful of times over the years. Uh, guy's really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's, you know, I think he changed the bird dog world. Would you even say, I mean, we all understand him as a legend, but, I, and I don't want to get into like the best trainer this, best trainer that, because that's so subjective. But I think that he has changed like he was the, probably the catalyst for us all as a community trying to understand um, the the psyche of a dog, like you said before. But I even think a lot of that trickles into the NABDA training, right? Like from what I understand, the history behind NABDA and how it was developed, you could put those two books side to side by side, you know? So, you know, the foundation of a bird dog, and again, we're going to stick with bird dogs, but it's, it's the obedience, it's the foundation and exposure. You could train any dog by the Smith method. And I'm going to talk on that because it's really, you know, what I know and understand. Please, go, please elaborate. Yeah, go ahead. For many years. And there's great trainers all around the country. There's probably great trainers that we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Guys that are just doing their own thing in their backyard. You know, guys that were doing it 50, 60, 70 years ago. But, you know, getting involved with the Smith method. You know, having a pup from uh, Ronnie Smith, Rick Smith. There were uh, the sire was Rick Smith's dog. The mother was Ronnie Smith's dog, and Susanna's. Um, I've been to my goodness, probably thirty seminars at the Smiths. <laughs> I think that's where Delmar stood out above it. Was he went out and trained the people with these seminars? Right. You know, that's that. That's what's great about this Smith training. Now, the seminars, you know, you spend two, three, four days through the series of seminars, the foundation, the intermediate, the advanced, and they're really training the people. I've learned far more from watching other dogs and people, you know, in and around the Smiths than training my own dogs. You have more of an open mind and, and you're less objective or more objective. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a method that's proven. It works. It's, you know. It's easy on the dog. There's not a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and it just works. Yep. I don't know how much you want me to get into this. Yeah, so there's the chain gang, uh-huh. Wool Post, Wonderleaf, Check Cord. I mean, it's all, you know, it's the chain gang almost, dog is learning on its own. Right. right. You put a half a dozen, I've seen 20 dogs on a chain gang, gang, jumping around, barking, you know, that chain's moving right on down the line. And my very first seminar was with Rick Smith at Lion Country. And he had about 20 dogs. And, you know, you're sitting there at the seminar and you got to move away because the dogs are barking and, you know, screaming and howling. And the first morning, it, it was pretty, pretty loud. We took a lunch break, came back from lunch, and, you know, some of the dogs started settling down, mm-hmm. just sitting there laying there. You know, by the afternoon, less dogs were you know, jumping around and making noise. Mm-hmm. By noontime Sunday, it, it, it was a handful of dogs out of 20 some dogs that were, you know, not just settling in, buying into it. Right. So that's, so you're setting a dog's mind with that and you're doing nothing but clipping the dog's collar to the chain. Yep. yep. Well, and I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. It, oh, it's very easy. So that's how I got my uh, pointer pup introduced to um the the the, the stakeout it's the same thing you know and i just let him wrestle around with that with that cat with that uh that chain and stuff like that and you come out and it says it so you know so much more in depth in the 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 delmar tarrant book but that dog's gotta learn but you gotta simmer down and and you can fight with yourself and and, and the dog is smart enough not to mess around and spend too much time fighting with itself <laughs> Yeah, they'll 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 learn that. Some will, some you know, be a little more persistent. Mm-hmm. But with the chain gang opposed to the stakeout, mm-hmm. not knocking anything, you know, as the dogs are moving, it's sending that movement right on down the chain. Right. And dogs are watching other dogs. And listen, how do you train with twenty dogs? <laughs> You're not going to do that, you know, unless you go to a Smith seminar, and it, and it could be ten dogs. But generally, it's you know, ten, fifteen, twenty dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's actually working on the dog's mindset. And the Smiths tell you you want three things out of your dog. Go with you, come to you, and stand still. Right. Right. And, you know, it, it took me quite a while to really let that sink in. You know, you could tell me something, you could show me something, but I've got to do it several times to understand. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. Okay. Rick, I highly doubt that. <laughs> and and it's it's a great learning process. I've enjoyed the, you know, travel on this road to learn about the dogs, and you really owe it to the dog to give them as much as you can in your knowledge and mm-hmm. and its efficiency. Yeah, yeah. Well, we start yelling at a dog, getting aggravated at a dog. You know, go smoke a cigar, have and, a shot of bourbon, right, you know, do whatever you got to do. Chill Just out. leave the dog alone and go at it another time. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm so glad you said that, too, because I am. So a buddy of mine and, and mentor is Bud Moore, and he was actually um, apprenticed under Delmar. Um, does very, very well in field trials, so on and so forth. Um, and I was watching his DVD today. It's um, the Windows of Opportunity DVD. And I'm, I'm being a little promoty, but shamelessly, I, I love him to death. But in that, he talks about, the puppy's synapses, like the brain synapses, the gap between each one is, is very, 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 very close. So 
and, and, and Bud likes to get into the science of things, right? Well, when you say go out, take a break and, and hollering at a dog doesn't really work. You know, when we think about brain activity, that puppy is registering your reaction immediately. You know, like <laughs> the, the time it takes for one response to hit that other synapse in the brain and you to react, that puppy is registered, you know, that reaction and, and you're not getting anywhere. That is so. It's already <laughs> happened to the dog. That's why I think you know, when you make a correction on a dog, you almost want to do it immediately. Yep. Yep. I think one of the biggest attributes in training a dog, handling your own dog, is trying to read that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that dog's telling you what it's going to do, how it's going to act, if you can really pay attention to its body language. Yep. Eye set, droopy ears, shoulders, you know, head down. I mean, you could really tell a lot. Shoulder posture, back end posture. There's just a lot to learn, and it it just takes looking at several several dogs. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's why going to these seminars, and I've been going to them for oh my goodness, full fourteen years now. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's you know I've made friends across the country. You know, hey Rick, you, you coming down this year? And I help out, but I watch. I've watched. Uh, I've watched the Smith Method evolve. Uh, under Ronnie, Susanna, Ronnie's wife, Susanna, you know, I think she just brought that female touch. I think it's mm-hmm. a calmer, nurturing touch. Mm-hmm. She's a mom. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think a lot of the females are great handlers, even around my knob to close. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, as, oh, I, as good I, as any man. Oh, I think, I think if not better, um, I've met. Some I, I would met. say that for all my female friends that are going to be listening out. <laughs> I have seen some phenomenal um, women handlers, man. And, you know, I always wonder if it's just that that brute strength thing that kind of comes with being a guy. And and it's not like, oh, I'm trying to go abuse a dog. But it's knowing that realistically you can just use your hands and, and, and just pick the dog up and make him do whatever it is you want him to do as far as discipline. Whereas a woman's touch they're spending a little more time seeing the whole picture. And I see that a lot in that, in the, um, the, the, the Ronnie and, and Susanna Smith book. I, I almost read when she's talking, I almost hear her voice. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily know exactly what she sounds like, but I feel like I can, like she's sitting right there when I'm reading through that book. And it changes when I hear um, Ronnie Smith's word in that book. So it's just very interesting you know, the, the, the force that they've become together, you know, well said, and, and they are doing a great job together. Uh, he said, I, I've known them now nine, 10 years, mm-hmm. Ronnie, well, my dog's nine and a half. So that's when I met him, when I picked her up, um, they're great people. Yeah. All of them, yeah. So t- t- tell us about that story, <laughs> but tell me about the story of how you got the dog. Cause that was really interesting. So, uh, I had Cody. Mm-hmm. And Cody was also a dog from like my fourth generation. And Cody came from California via a dog I sent out there some years before. Um, so Cody, my first Smith seminar was with Cody again and Rick. Then I realized, you know, I wanted to get another dog and, and have a litter. And I'm not a breeder. You know, it was just, just stuff I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, life's, life's changing. 
my work is very demanding, very time consuming, mm-hmm. still self-employed. As my daughter got older, uh, I've been single for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, she was more on her own. I had more time to do this stuff. So uh, I decided I wanted a puppy. And I looked around, you know, whatever internet I was capable to do nine and a half years ago, well, <laughs> 10 years ago when the search started. <laughs> and uh, I reached out to Rick Smith. So let me back up. So when I was at that Smith seminar, I'm sorry, this, this is important. Uh, I met a guy by the name of Nick Mellon. Mm-hmm. Nick's a guy out of the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Great guy. And he was there at Rick Smith. He apprenticed there uh, under Ronnie for his uh, program. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had an appointment with Nick. He kind of took to me. He had Brits at the time. And he was talking to me about the woe post and try to do this. And I actually had an appointment to train with him. That was in April, that June. Well, the week weekend I was going to go down there, they had terrible rains and floods where he was living, so we canceled. Uh, I couldn't fit anything in my schedule. And I, that's when I was recommended to go to uh, Sharon Potter at Red Branch Kennels. Mm-hmm. So I went out to Sharon, and I spent a week with her, solid week with her and Cody. Mm-hmm. I left Cody there. We were to goalpost and force fetch. Uh, I came back the fourth week. Spent a few days with her. You know, we were pretty much through everything. She was trying to, you know, polish me up on what she had accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I took Cody home and I worked with him. And, you know, I was still learning. The poor dog really put up with me. He taught me a lot. And I think that's the case for us all. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that kind of hooked me on the Smith stuff. So when I wanted a pup, I, I reached out to Rick. And he said that his cousin Ronnie, didn't know much about Ronnie then, and his wife Susanna were... You know, they have a litter you know, every spring, summer. Give them a call. So I called them, and I forget who I spoke with. Probably Susanna, because Ronnie's pretty busy. And they had a litter, and, you know, they, they have a list, you know, and they'll let me know. So uh, I called Rick back and told him that, you know, they have a litter. I'd like to get a pup. I called Sharon. And I kind of started pressing. <laughs> so uh, when the litter came on the ground in August, Susanna started sending me pictures but there was still no definite that I would get a puppy. And the first set of pictures that she had sent, I, I picked the pup out on pictures. You know, you don't know why. Right. So long story short, we're getting you know close to the dogs ready to go to their homes. And she sends me a, a note that three of the dogs had died. Something happened in the whelping box, hmm. whether mama laid on them or, or something. So I'm like, man, I'm lucky if I even get a pup out of this. Right. I think there was eight pups, four liver, four orange and white. <clears throat> so anyway, I got Ronnie on the phone one day, and I said, listen, I really want to get out there. And uh, a few weeks after that, uh, in middle of September, I was doing an antelope hunt out in Wyoming. My plan was to possibly drive out there, pick the dog up, or, or when I was done with the hunt, come back. But long story short, Ronnie says, come out, I'll have a pup for you. So I pack up the truck, back up Cody. I drive out there at the end of August. Uh, I get there. I meet Susanna. Go into the yard. I mean, there's dogs running around. Ronnie's got dogs out in a chain gang. She takes me out to where the puppies were. And, you know, Brittany puppies just bouncing around. I got in the pen with them. Blah, blah. We were chatting. Ronnie came out, met Ronnie. Right? Susanna says, I says, so what puppies available? So she says, which one do you want? And I kind of looked at her. I was like, "This, there's, I'm the first pick. She said, yeah. 
So I said, well, look, she called it the large orange female. She says, she says, well, you're going to be here for a while, right? Yeah. I said, she says, why don't you wait? I said, no, that's the puppy. Let's go take care of the paperwork. So inside we went, you know, filled out papers, you know, squared up with her and went outside and was chatting with Ronnie. Who pulls in the driveway but Delmar? It <laughs> is another story, though. And I was introduced to Delmar, and I had paperwork for Cody's pedigree. Now, Cody went back to dogs that Delmar owned and trained for field trials. Okay. Holiday Brits, Zuka, um, Mike, little Mike Te- uh, Tejas. Um, both my dogs have Perry's Rustic Prince in them. So these are dogs that are have some titles. It's way back, but they're there. No, they're fa- they're probably foundation dogs, realistically. I mean, yeah, I mean, and you know that's when Delmar was running the circuit. Yeah, field trial, and he was running that right around uh, Big Cab in Oklahoma and Benita, mm-hmm. and it was wild cubbies of quail. Or the oil industry was booming. Yep. It was yep. just great timing and location for that whole venue. And, you know, now I've got some of the Smith dogs here. Man. So that that is just an honor and a a, a, a privilege. Now, this is my thing, okay? And I I'm I'm really into field trials and, and I'm going to be getting my pup uh, ready for American field uh, trials in the spring. And uh, right now we are at stop to flush and, and, and steadiness after the flush. So I really want to see that dog steady all the way through the shot and, and kill. Um, but w- what do you think? And, and I'm, and feel free to go down any kind of rabbit hole you need, but the strongest dogs that I've seen in field trials are pointers, setters, and Britneys. We got Dave Walker who had Britneys. We got Delmar who had Britneys. And you're killing the game in NAVDA with Britneys. So give me what is it that makes them such like solid contenders when it comes to that? You know, I think a dog's a dog throughout. Okay. You know, okay. with different clothing, to be honest with you. Okay. And each breed has okay. their distinction. You know, why did the Brittany, you know, there's there's more more dual champion out of the Brittany breed than any other breed. Yeah. Why is yeah. that? It just might have been popularity and location at the time. I mean, Delmar was a strong force. Right. And he was around Brittany's. You know, I mean, certainly the breed had to have something, right? But so did yeah, the English pointers. So did the setters. I mean, well, and that's German. What makes me I, I think ask. all these dogs are capable. Right. I just it, it makes me ask because, it, like down here in the south, you see a lot of pointers and a good amount of setters, and and I don't know if it's just we are too stubborn to move away from it. <laughs> you know, I think it might be location and tradition. Okay. Right? Okay. It's what you like. It's what you get used to. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no negative of any of our of our sporting dogs, right? Pointers, flushers, or retrievers, right? You know, I have the Britneys. I like them. I enjoy them. I've had some success with them. I mean, there aren't too many Britneys in the knob the world. Yeah, you know, knob there's a German system. Mm-hmm. You know, the German short hairs, the wired hairs, the drops. So they're playing. You know, they came from playing different German games. I'm going to call them games, right? But that's the events these guys ran. In Europe, you know, then into America, right? Right. It's just games we're playing with the dogs, right? And and I, I like how you put that. No, seriously, it is. And 
that that makes a lot of sense when you have a dog that, say, for instance, operates differently when you hunt them versus they recognize when they're in these these games per se. And yeah, you know, each breed has their distinction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. You know, size matters, of course. Height, length, long hair, short hair, but I think you could take any. Let's stick with pointing dogs. Any pointing dog breed today mm-hmm. and be successful in any of these venues. Right. Field trial, hunt test, Nabda, Astra. I really do. I think it's the time you put in. I think you can get at them. Right. Certainly pedigree has something to do with it. Absolutely no doubt about it. I don't want to make light of that. Right. right. Now, let me let me let me ask you this though. When it comes to Nabda, um, as you've progressed in your training, and I know you've seen a lot of dogs, it's part of it is my question. Part of it is um, my buddy, Philip Maley, who is also big in NABDA, and he, he runs short hairs. But my question, before I get to his, is what, what do you think the early identifiers of a dog are with the potential to be a versatile champion? Like, when you go into the NABDA test, there's a lot of dogs that pass. There's a lot of dogs that just don't make the cut there. But can you see... After that test, like, okay, hmm, that dog right there has a, a very, very high chance of being a versatile champion versus another dog and be like, oh, okay, like he might do well in util- utility, but he might not get that far. So I think utility is the tougher test out of the three, to be quite really? honest with you. And I may have a lot of people contradict me on that. But, no, please do um, tell. Some of, the, some of the things that take a dog out of, the invitational or even the utility is the duck search. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to the invitational, you're getting into the backing and honoring. Right. I mean, it's no secret. Right. Uh, I'm not even sure how and why I got into not the game. <laughs> it was just basically was my only opportunity to train dogs on some local property. Yeah. I'm with Hudson Valley Navda. We train out of uh, Newburgh, New York. Stewart Airport property. Mm-hmm. Rock Tavern is out of there. We actually have two chapters out of there. I train with the Yankee chapter up in New England when I can get there. Yeah. I mean, and, and all these all these people are great, great folks. Right? And I just learned. Yeah. You know, I went in there and basically kept my eyes open, my ears open, and my mouth pretty much shut, <laughs> and just watched mm-hmm. you know watched dog after dog. You know, and you jump in and help, you know, you plant birds, you're gunning, you're, you know, you just get involved and it just grew. Now, it wasn't a plan to, you know, have, you know, three versatile champions, but it evolved as I would, you know, kept getting involved with it. The passion takes over, the desire, and, you know, some of my best friends today are because of the dogs. Right. Right. It, it just really makes me wonder you know, because you've got three versatile champions. I don't believe in coincidence, man. You know, like let's 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 go through your individual three dogs, right? Like what each dog is different. They they make from the same lines and and very similar backgrounds, but each one had a trait that you probably at some point had to be like, hmm, that dog might be a versatile champion. 
<laughs> and, and you know what? It's a good way to put it. Uh, I'm not sure I was. Yeah, you led me good. Good job. <laughs> I'm here with Darrell Smith. <laughs> dog notebook. He's doing a heck of a job. No, it's a good point. So when I got my dog, Cody, that's the one I put down a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. He's the father of the two I just ran at the Invitational. So I got Cody, and I got him at six months old after his great-grandma passed. So there was a local fella here that I met. He saw I had a Brit in my truck. And I was driving around with him in a truck everywhere. And he says, listen, why don't you try training a dog? And I had, I had no formal training. You know, growing up as a kid, um, you know, we had, I had quail eggs. We had pheasant chicks. And it was very rough training. Right. My dad's partner at the time, him and his two boys had a Brittany that hunted. So my dad said, I'm going to get a Brittany. And we hunted it, you know, pretty rough and nothing smooth. But. You know, we went out and tried to get some pheasants and grouse locally. There was grouse here then, but not a lot. Deer hunting was big, deer and rabbit. So anyway, back to Cody. So good friend of mine, Dan Cordero, he says, yeah, I've been around dogs my whole life, Brittany guy. He says, you know, I belong to Nob. He was doing the AKC hunt test stuff. It show. His mom, dad, and sister ran a kennel locally. So Danny kind of got me going. So I started training and getting into the junior hunt test senior hunt test um but training around nod the locally and was basically an exposure to fields to train a dog for birds on right. birds right so uh around where i live there's a lot of farm ponds we're in apple country wine country vineyard so there's a lot of ponds created for irrigation of the farmland so with that brings in geese and ducks so just my dog cody didn't have a lot of discipline i kind of just he was a dog when I rolled down the wind in the truck. When I pulled into a field, he jumped out. I thought it was cool. But anyway, he started hitting the water just out of his own desire. You know, chasing duck, geese, and, you know, if they flew away, he, he was still going to try to find more and get to the other side and chase them, you know, while they were flying away. So when I was around novice, some people, you know, kind of pointed it out. So we started doing some duck searches. And, again, my thing was the field. Because I was doing hunt tests, so Cody was a natural at duck search. You know, uh, I mean, as good a duck searcher. Boy, this I might this might come back at me, but I believe as any dog I saw a duck search around the country. And I, I don't say that boasting or anything like that. He just did it. Yeah. He got in a swamp, and you know, you could you could order lunch before he's done <laughs> and eat it. And you know, friends of mine will test to that. So. Uh, Got his natural ability at a young age. Again, I really didn't know a lot about it because it was kind of a new exposure. I had been in Nabda for years, but I never participated with a chapter. So, you know, having a duck search dog, you kind of got a, a big obstacle taken care of. Right. So, you know, so I needed to get him steady. And, you know, he was a pretty independent dog. Uh, he probably worked with me more than I thought at the time. And when I got Oak... Uh, I remember going to a Ronnie Smith seminar and I was, you know, doing some of this stuff and, you know, Ronnie, I don't think was too familiar with it. And he says, you know, you've got a perfectly good field dog here, bird hunt dog. He says, why are you doing this stuff? I thought, it's just what we're doing locally. It's a game we're playing. Right. And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders, you know, and then uh, got her UT prize one, her and Cody. It took me two test seats, but we got them through it. Um, qualified for an invitation in Iowa. Um, and there we went and Oak just kind of, she was probably better than I thought at the time, but she just kind of rolled right with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
she became a good duck, very good duck search dog, not like Bodie. She had a little, I had a little more obedience on her. You know, I was stumbling through the Smith method. You know, Ronnie said to me one time, he says, look, you're doing a good job. But, and, and he would always answer my calls, questions. You know, it might take him a couple, two days to call back. He says, you're a guy that goes ahead and you got to go backwards, but you are doing a good job. So that's the learning process throughout. Okay. You know, as you're going through, again, his method and foundation stuff. And uh, Cody did not pass his invitational. Believe it or not, I lost it on a field retrieve. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that okay. was probably a weak point going into it. And it was pointed out to me by my good friend, Perry Masadi, who's really walked me through this whole knob world from, you know, util- well, from NA utility and the invitation. Okay. So I've been to two invitational with four dogs, and fortunately I have three passes. But uh, okay. So it's a game I'm playing. So Oak and Cody have a litter of puppies. I'm going to continue with knob, right? Yeah. And just the exposure of everything we do, the duck search, uh, when you get to the invitational or when you're training for that point, and you try to train for everything right on through their, their growing process, the dog. Um, Brad Arrington from Mossy Pond Retrievers runs a kennel here in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad's been here about six, seven years. So it's funny. Brad said the same thing to me when I told him I wanted to do this retriever work with Oak and Cody. Because you got a perfectly good field dog here. What do you want to do this retriever stuff for? <laughs> so it was like two worlds coming together. I'm like, you know, it's like these guys wanted to beat me up or something. But, you know, when 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 he saw me doing it, and you know, he had me doing the lines and backs and overs, um, you know, and I, I, I'm very, I'm very rough with that stuff. But, you know, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, dogs dogs will show signs. You need a dog with prey drive. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, 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 no. I, I was going to ela- elaborate. You're you're fine. You know, to get a duck search dog, you, I mean, the dog's really got to have some prey drive in the field, I believe. Right. You know, because basically, the duck search, you're hunting a swamp. But you're not walking and quartering with the dog. The dog's alone. You release a dog into a duck search, you're done. You do nothing, you say nothing. That dog just goes and wants to find a duck. You hope. So just, I mean, just think about that separation of dog and handler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and you and can't, you know, when that dog's out there, you can't plant a bird. You know what I'm saying? You can't hit, a, well, you can't hit launches. We plant birds all over the swamp. Right. But it really is creating an independent dog. Almost against what we're working on, training for a, you know, a steady dog in the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I like that how you said that is, is creating, you know, that type of independence. I, you know, Rick, there's a thin line between having a dog that's independent and a dog that wants to work with you. I think that line, I think we should probably clarify, you know, what that means. If you know what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, your dog has to work with you. Mm-hmm. You have to work with your dog. There's no question. You know, it's funny. When I was out in Ronnie's this past June, you know, I might be bouncing around a little, Darrell. No, go ahead. Ronnie had his advanced seminar at his new place in Pawhuska. Beautiful place. I mean, he could hold field trials on these grounds. Now, I don't know field trials. I, I did the hunt test game for a while. Oak and Cody both got their senior hunter. Never ran Oak and Master Hunter because I, I got 
one ball to knob uh, with the two of them. Cody, I ran maybe two or three times in master, just couldn't get a leg. Um, it was always something different, but again, quite a bit independent. Uh, but you know, you get out there in them big fields and you watch these field trial dogs go, to, uh, and they're running out to 200 yards. Mm-hmm. I can't see that far. <laughs> yeah. Even though, yeah. even though you can see the dog, you know, I'm a grouse hunter and yeah, you know, yeah, wild bird hunter. I guide at local preserves here. You know, sitting up uh-huh. on one of the four by fours up high watching it. I mean, it, it was cool. You know, <laughs> and see, look, I I want I I want a dog that's out there like that down here in the south. We we like our dogs stretch out like that. <laughs> and you know, then I'm I'm a knob the guy doing water work and grouse hunting. You know, the dogs fifty yards max in front of us. <laughs> yeah. It was good to see the dogs get out. You know, they had the opportunity to stretch and get out. And, yeah. I'm not yeah. big at whistling or hacking or mm-hmm. stimming. You know, not at this point anyway. I'm a quiet trainer anyway, as is the Smith method. But that that was pretty neat seeing that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, field trials and great people out there, everybody helping each other. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's all good. And it's just you know, it's just letting the dog be a dog. Yeah. And and letting them and again it goes back to that natural ability and really allowing that dog's natural inclination to come forward. You know, like I, I think there are some dogs as to go back to what we were saying that are probably more inclined to certain things. It, it To me, it sounds like you got three versatile champions because those dogs, as you were saying, were naturally inclined to do, they were going to hunt and, and be that level of a champion anyway. You basically came in and said, "Hey, let's let's kind of round out the edges." But that dog had it in a yeah, like you 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 had a genius in the classroom already. <laughs> you just presented him with a series of standardized tests. Yeah, yes, and and again, you know, it's exposure, mm-hmm. it's exposure and repetition. You know, again, you know, there's breeds and knobs that are more successful mm-hmm. than others. You know. Um, there's a high percentage of German short hairs, the yep. German breeds. Yep. It's a German system. Why not? You know, I, I think any breed that Nabda recognizes that people test in, I think with the right time, the right method in training, you know, the exposure, the system, you know, learning the knob, the system, I think any dog can do it. Right. right. Well, you know, again, you're well, going to have the top dogs and, you know, I mean, when, when Oak passed her invitational uh, in 14, she wasn't exactly one of the higher scoring dogs, but we got her through it. Right. You know, but, uh, and, and Cody had all threes and fours, except he had a, believe it or not, a two in retriever and retrieving in the field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was just, he brought all the birds back, but he was, he was tossing them in the air and dropping them. And, you know, but he, he pointed, he, he did everything he had to do. It just, uh, I think he got a little outside himself. Right, right. And I, I mean, and that happens from time to time too. You know, it's so easy. Uh, it's so easy not to pass the invitation. Yeah, yeah. You know, a dog that goes the invitational, you know, that dog should be there. And that dog's doing the job. You know, and, and you get things happen. I mean, I had my my male spruce three weeks before the test decided he didn't want to do a blind retrieve anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I shot him, Darrell. 
kidding. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's one way to solve that problem. <laughs> Called a couple of quality Bob the trainers, a gentleman by the name of Kyle Hoff. I, I trained with him down yeah. in Pennsylvania a few times. Kyle's top notch. Now we trained with a handful of guys going to the invitational. And boy, you want to talk about work. Yeah. Just worked and got it in and help and you know, all those guys that went, not everybody got a VC, but they should have and could have. Now it's just that that hitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just something can happen. It was hot, real hot the first two days. I ran the last two days there. Um and I was fortunate, you know. Yeah, you have yeah. to prepare, you know. But I was fortunate; I you know, had some luck, and uh, we got it done. Right. To the credit of the dogs. <laughs> well, I, I I think that's awesome, and and, and you, you got me when you was like, so I shot him. I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> I get a little, I get a little off. No, I, I love it because I was not look. I was not expecting that turn of events. <laughs> Listen, you know, we know some of the same guys. You talk to Jerry Ravenno, and, and right. you know. <laughs> now I see why you're friends with Jerry. That that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and, and look, look before we uh, before I forget, Jerry um, <laughs> wanted me to ask you something before I because I still had that question for my buddy Philip. But Jerry told me to make sure I asked you what you think about them long tail Britneys. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> Love them. But uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, Jerry's, you know, Jerry's working hard. Yeah. He's working with Jordan Wells. I think you did a pod. I know you did a podcast yes, with Jordan. Sir. Yes, sir. Fine sir. young man. Oh, good Jordan, dog Jordan's trainer. Jordan's a rock star. Uh, yeah. Jordan's, <laughs> Jordan's the real deal. Yeah. And I saw him last Saturday. He didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> but I'm expecting a note from him thanking me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to poke him a little bit and say, hey, man, you need to go listen to the 42nd minute of this podcast. <laughs> All right. So I, again, want to give another shout out to Lion Country Supply and the good folks over there that have just really, really, really looked out for me and the podcast, been supporting it since day one. Um, be sure to reach out to the world's premier hunting dog supplier and slide a little gift up under the tree for pup. All right. Check out Lion Country Supply today. But, you know, it's gonna, Jerry may get it done. We'll be doing a lot of training together. Uh, but he may get it done with that red and white setter. And Jordan's doing some really good stuff. It looks like Jerry has a special dog, man. Yeah, he's working hard. He's learning, you know, and he is learning. He's Jerry's pretty much, you know, a rookie at this. No knock, yeah. Jerry, honestly. But uh, I'm happy for him. I'm looking forward to see where he's going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, you know, it's time and effort. You know, but there's there's not too many of these dogs that are out of the box doing it. Right. You know, uh, I think I've got good dogs. I, I don't even to this day think they're great. But you put the time and effort in them, you know, they work for you. You know, they live with us. My dogs are in the office with me now. Um, you know, they stay here with my secretary some days. Bring the camel out back. The weather's mm-hmm. good. You know, they just want it. They just want to work and please. Yes. And it's all the dogs, all the breeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I think you're spot on with that. And it, it, once that dog is sold to something that you have, I, I remember I was just watching the uh, Project Upland film that they did with you um, just because I wanted to make sure that I had all my detail. I, I kind of do a, a lot of background research. Um, and and I, I'm aware of that. Um, I'm, I'm a, a geek about certain things and I don't want to come up shorthanded, but... Um, you you made a, a statement that said I think it was I think it was Spruce you were talking about, but you you said that he hadn't bought into your training program. What did what did you mean by that, and, and how did you notice it, and 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 how did you fix it? So here's what was happening. I'm, I'm going to just step back a little bit. So Oak and Cody whelped the litter. I had ten puppies. Mm-hmm. Spruce picked me, so I kept them. Okay. Um, okay. Sold all the other dogs. Uh, all but two went to, you know, what we thought were going to be hunting homes, testing homes, and, uh, you know, all good homes nonetheless. So uh, Maggie is a dog I sold. I sold two females to a family. They had a, a Brit, and they were looking to get into, you know, the knob, the hunting, training a little more. Uh, Maggie's a dog they gave back to me. And the two sisters took to fighting. And uh, so let's see. I whelped the litter in February. They were gone by April. I got Maggie back like the 1st of November. Had her a few days. I sent her uh, down to Georgia with Brad Arrington. Okay. And the reason I did that was, is, you know, I, I had spruce I wanted to be training. We were coming on winter. And New York winters can be, you know, difficult to train him. And, you know, Brad was kind of anxious. Actually, he, he would have taken Maggie if I did. He would have, he would have taken her. With him. So Maggie went down there. And uh, where am I going with this, Darrell? I got off track. <laughs> into you, you got Maggie back, buying into the program. Right. And uh, but what was what where, what was the start of this? I'm sorry. So you had a you 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 picked Spruce because he picked you. You sold off the rest of the puppies. You got to where Maggie ended up having to come back to you, and then you started talking about about Brad. So anyway, Brad took her. I got mm-hmm. her back that following spring, mm-hmm. and you know she had a good foundation on her. Uh, I just kind of put her through the wall post, so I can have that you know control to stop uh great job and i mean maggie's actually maggie's been a better test dog than spruce hmm. uh maggie uh she's got two I'm trying to think how many uts we got because i qualified again for next year's invitation list things didn't go well this year okay. and i'm really glad i'm not signing up for that one <laughs> trust me so maggie was just a better test dog okay um, you know, Spruce had some hitches. Maybe it's that girl boy thing. I don't know. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're they're both very good hunting dogs. Um, you know, Maggie got prize ones or two or three utilities. Spruce, it took me, I think, three tries to get a prize one. Yeah. And I, I, I was it was it a maturity thing or was it like you know? Oh, I, so oh, here's where we're going back to the Project Upland film. Yeah, he, when, he hadn't uh, bought into your program. So what was happening with Spruce, uh, he was going on point and he was flagging and occasionally he'd kind of just back like, like 
back off point. So I called Rick Smith. I called Ronnie Smith, called, you know, some other pros I know and, you know, Nick Mellon, um, you know, to get their opinions. And Rick said, look, he's on point. He's just not buying into the whole steady to wing shot and fall. So he said, just get him on more birds, let him chase a little bit. Uh, you know, that, you know, that seems to help. Yeah. And it was just birds, birds, birds. Yeah. You know, I was letting him chase a little bit. Uh, he pretty much knew what he had to do. And I was just trying to build that confidence. But it was about uh, two years of that, you know. Okay. And um, it was even something I was worried about going into the invitation last spring. But it, it didn't come out. Okay. It didn't come out. And luckily, but uh, maturity, uh, some people said that. I don't know. So when Maggie did qualify for the Invitational two years ago, Spruce did not. My dad underwent heart surgery. Hmm. So I didn't take Maggie to the Invitational that year. Um, You know, my dad was ill. My training just, I say I lost like a season of training. Yeah, for good reason. I believe it. Got to take care of dad. I should have been to the Invitational, you know, in 2018. And again, it's, it, it was no big plan in stone, but that was, you know, that's where I was going with the training. Uh, it didn't happen. So, you know, again, time and repetition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at four plus years, the dogs, you know, we got them there and they, and they did the job. But uh, he finally, he finally, you know, put into the whole game of, you know, he's real solid on birds now. Yeah. Grouse, woodcock, yeah. my guided hunts, he's real solid. But, you know, he was just kind of a dog that just Maggie's, you know, Maggie's got a real solid point, like real stylish. Mm-hmm. You know, Spruce is solid, but uh, we did get over that whole flagging and kind of really soft on point, I guess I'll call it. Yeah. And you don't want to see that. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, and, you know, my, my Brits are on the large size. You know, uh, they're, you know, he, Spruce is 55 pounds. Yeah. His mom and sister, you know, they're they're mid forties, yeah. forty four, forty five pounds. Those big dogs, yeah. They're they're not small Britneys, but I've always had big Britneys. I don't, you know, not for any reason. This you is... know, but uh, what can I say? That's just what they are. Well, I look. I totally identify. It. My pointer is the smallest little thing in the world. I love it. <laughs> um. I thought I was going to get a bigger dog, but now my lab is, is a, a big dude. Uh, well, he's 65 pounds. Um, but my pointer, I had a similar issue where he was flagging a lot, and I actually brought out um, a pigeon pole, a short pigeon pole, and I just, I, I just let him point that thing and keep pointing it and keep pointing it and keep pointing it, and basically he fixed himself. Um. Because he would, and, and I had to learn, it was a, certain things that I had to learn about him flagging when birds were running or they were they, they were doing something funny or he hadn't identified, like he wasn't quite sure, he would flag. And he still does it today. But when he is locked in, um, he's the prettiest thing in the world to watch. And he'll stay there. So Yeah, he'll sit there and n- n- not move. <laughs> You know, some people said to me that, you know, Spruce was just like really, 
him and I, he's close with me. I mean, he's a dog when I let him out of the kennel, the three of them out of the kennel, you know, and I, I release them. I don't ever let them bolt anywhere. Mm-hmm. Whatever they come out of, truck, kennel, you know, garage door, kennel door, they're they're on heel. Right. And when I release them, Spruce, you know, he's the one hanging out, like, here I am, pet me. Mm-hmm. And um, even a couple of judges, when we saw it happen in uh, you know, early testing on the UT, they said, you know, He's just looking to you. Like, like am I okay? Yep. Um, could that have been pressure? I'm really not a pressure guy, but each dog is different, Darrell. Mm-hmm. That's why you really got to concentrate on reading that dog. Yep. You know, we have our methods. You know, it's kind of cookie cutter, some of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could use that same method on, you know, several different dogs, but each dog is going to handle it a little differently. Well, a little bit different. And you just got to really... Read that dog. Pay attention. Well, and I, I think that's spot on. Um, you know, know that dog's traits, know their characteristics, um, and that just that takes. You know, just like they say, a bird makes the a, a bird dog. I think a bird makes the birds make a, a bird dog trainer. You know, um, being out there and just watching the dog. I for the longest time when I wanted him to figure out wild birds his first hunt on you know down in in south georgia i just honestly let him run and he knocked his first covey of it was huge covey um this season and it's like a light bulb clicked on and we had been doing all the work at home and and i've got a recall pen and so on and so forth um and he was locking up just fine but it it he needed that exposure and experience to get out there absolutely so. It, it is. It's time. It's birds. You know, I see. A, I I see some guys. You know what they do in a year or two with their dogs exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, other guys might that dog might be three, four years before it gets that exposure. Right. So and you know again, listen. We all have jobs. We have families. You know, the only thing you know preventing me from you know having top working dogs for even for hunting. It's time. Yeah. You have to have time, and you do need a method. You really kind of got to know going into it, and you're going to learn as you go along. But if you could learn a method, and you're only going to learn methods by, you know, being around pros, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. Yeah, or no, at least I agree. Guys that are, you know, top top quality guys that aren't necessarily pros. And that's what we find in these novice chapters. You know, I'm a guy that want. I don't want to be better than anybody around me. I want everybody around me better than me. That's mm-hmm. how you learn and get better. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it's like that in the field trial game. The guys that I learn from, they will talk a gang of, of trash, but they fundamentally want to help you. You know, and it's just all it's just poking fun and learning how to laugh. Now, my buddy Philip had a question. Like I said, he he's been very successful in NAVDA. Um, I interviewed him as well previously, but he, he asked, um, over the course of time, he's probably, you know, pretty sure you've seen a lot of German short hairs, wire hairs, all kinds of stuff like that. And each breed has their own unique temperament and tendencies. Now, have, had you seen a difference in the training methods, uh, needed to train Britney's to the level that you have versus the other breeds? I would say no. Okay. But following up on that, so, um, again, I train with several people. Mm-hmm. 
several different dogs. Um, I, you know, my dogs are quite steady. Out of the guys that I train with, the girls, um, my dogs are, you know, right there as the steadiest. And there's no doubt in my mind that it's the Smith method of, you know, chain gang, low post, wonderly. Everybody's got their own way of doing things, and they all get there. Now, you take a dog through the utility to BC, they're not getting there. I don't know too many people that train the Smith method as I do. You know, even people I've been around for several years. But I don't see the breed difference. I really don't. Okay. You know, I, you, know you, you, you could see, you could take 10 German short hairs, you know, at a training day, because German short hair is very popular in our novel world. Um, love them. Mm-hmm. Love my buddies, you know, gals that have them. But you, you could see 10 dogs training and, you know, like you, you get seven different dogs. Right. You know, and that, that it's not breed, it's dog. Okay. I think if you expose a German short hair, a poodle pointer, a wire hair, a Brittany, a Spinoni to the same training method, the only difference might be, you know, time the dog gets it. But if you do the same thing, I think you'll get to the same place. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, dog t- might take a dog two weeks to, you know, get one solid foundation in another dog that might take one okay. i'm probably reaching here but i you know again there's breed distinction there's no doubt but but i think i think all these dogs are capable it's just a matter of time energy training so on and, and so again there, there are breed distinctions there's bloodline distinction i mean the field trial game the hunt test game the nod the game they're all different throughout mm-hmm. they're, they're different but i think the training methods foundation i'm talking about the steadiness the retrieving the heel the hear um you know once you have that go play all the games you want right and i'm gonna be opening something here look no i'm 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 eating it up (laughs) so you are good no i'm not you know i don't really favor one breed over the other i mean there's certain dog styles I like, mm-hmm. you know, they're different than others. You know, it's just, you know, I have my preferences. You know, right. I think if I ended up with, you know, short hairs, I'd be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. If I ended up with English pointers, you know, I'd be doing the same, same thing. thing. Now you talk about, you know, dogs in the water, you know, you just look at the Nanda statistic. Nanda's got a great registry of pedigree and testing and you could see the breeds. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the German short hair, there's, you know, they're, they're, Hugely successful, mm-hmm. but eighty percent of the dogs in Nobs, I think, are German short hairs. So of course yeah. you're going to have more success. It's a numbers game, right? The the ratio is just a lot high, right? And not knocking anything. You know, it's, you open stuff up here when you start talking breeds, but they're all good breeds. Yeah, it's just a matter of. of you know, I, I got a buddy, Kyle Warren, and I don't know if I'm going off on you, but Kyle's got Llewellyn setters, mm-hmm. and he's a grouse hunter all he does with his dogs. Yeah. And he's got a breeding program, the genealogy, the, he's a pro trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did search and rescue. He's big into fencing, uh, security law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hunts. The exposure his dogs get in a season of grouse hunting, woodcock hunting, amazing. It might take me three right. seasons. Uh, when we hunt together, there's not one word spoken to a dog. There's not bells. There's not beepers. There's GPSs. You know, you keep that dog in range, little whistle, 
here and there. Uh, you know, it's 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 great to see. Now, I have hunting dogs that I test. There's people out there that have testing dogs that they hunt. You know, Kyle's just hunting. <laughs> and he's got dogs all around the country hunting wild birds, you know, different species. Now, I don't think I would take one of Kyle's setters, you know, and want to play the knob the game. Right. I'm not saying they couldn't do it, but they're so programmed through his breeding and his conditioning and exposure. You know, I mean, honestly, if I, if I was a guy that just was 25 years old and wanted to just go grouse hunting, I'd call, one, I'd call Kyle for one of his dogs. Absolutely. It's, it's really, it's something. Well, you, you hit on a good point, knowing what, what you have, you know, um, and, and, and knowing what you're training for. I mean, I'm training for American field. There are certain things that I just fundamentally do not need to do that are going to like my, my dog would not be a good NAFTA dog. I'm sorry. He just isn't. Um, I don't do any kind of retriever work. He will naturally retrieve if it's convenient for him. Right, but it's not something but, you're going to train. Right, I don't train for. I want a dog that is going to look rock solid, standing there, pretty on point, and don't move. You know, and 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 takes casts left and right. And I want you three hundred something yards out ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'd be calling a national guard if my. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, it was, it was, it was really an experience to see that out with, uh, Ronnie and Susanna this past summer. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of the guys that had those dogs, you know, a couple Brits, English pointers. I think we had a German short hair. And, and again, it doesn't matter breed, but listen, you look at the body stature of an English pointer. Right. What's that dog bred to do? That dog's bred to run. Absolutely. And run, it does. <laughs> And yeah. run, it does. And, you know, and, and, and we've learned to have to adjust. So we went grouse hunting this past weekend. And, you know, I tell people I have a, a, a South Georgia quail dog. <laughs> we hunt wild birds in South Georgia. He can range as far as he needs to. I use a GPS collar, a, a Garmin collar. And um, I, I, all I want you to do is be out there. When you go on point, it'll tell me and I will come to you. But in the in the grouse woods, it don't work like that. <laughs> you can't see the dog. You can't see the dog. Right. You certainly can't see the bird till you know it, it gets up. You hear it more, much more than you see it. Isn't oh, it funny the different games we play though with these dogs? It's it's amazing, and and they and they're smart enough based on genetics and and training. But I, I put a lot of weight in the genetics. You get you something good, they will learn how to adapt. You know, it may I, I think dogs are truly a special creature. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's even spiritual for me. I mean, you know, meeting Delmar was spiritual. I told his son, oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, look at what these dogs are doing. Search and rescue. Look at the medical field. Right. Security. I mean, yeah. you've got dogs that can detect cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think I think we're going to see more and better stuff from this. You know, as, as we, we better educate ourselves as maybe a civilization, as society. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the dogs are a great creature. Yeah. And, you know, go enjoy them, have fun, treat them right. They don't need and want a lot, Darrell. 
know, so whatever game we're playing here in the sporting dog world with our pointers, go do it and enjoy it. No, but I, I learn how to train a dog. Go, go to, go to the TikTok seminar, Smith seminars, mm-hmm. go down to Brad Harrington, mm-hmm. uh, the Carters up in Maine. Uh, what a great family, yeah. father, wife, uh, husband, wife, son, Blaine, Patty, Jason, great people. Yep. No, there's others. I'm going to leave somebody out. Nick Mellon in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He's in South Carolina. Also great guy, Sharon Potter. No, it's, it's just great to have met these people and work with them. Right. Kyle Huff down in Pennsylvania. Great knob to dog handler and trainer. Tester. Al Burkhart, upstate New York. You know, there's uh, George, you know, it's endless. Mm-hmm. Jen Broom, Quinnipiac Kennels. I mean, I've, I've been around all these people. And when you get around this stuff, man, it's like this stuff soaks through your pores. <laughs> I, I agree. It's addicting. You know, whether you want to get it or not, if you show up, you're going to get it. Right. <laughs> but, you, you know, you have to want it. You know, yeah. you just got to, like I said, open eyes, open ears. Well, you know, that that's spot on. Um, and that's one of the many reasons I started this podcast. Because, you know, I'm I'm down here in Ad- on the outside of Atlanta. If I, Unless I go to South Georgia, and, and I do all the time now, and a, a lot of my favorite trainers are down there. But I needed a way to talk to guys like you. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And 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 have these conversations. I believe in not necessarily always saying do this, do this, do this, do this. But we can sit down and have a conversation and say, look, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is my dog. These are the traits of my dog. And I can sit here and tell you the exact same thing. And without going step by step. We, we we're sharing knowledge that's probably more valuable and writing our own book. You know, there's a time and a place for your how to books. And the funny thing is even Delmar's book isn't written how to it's chapters, but it's not written as do this, do this, do this. Right. It's not step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's I, not like step I, one, step two, step three. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when I started, doing the Smith seminars and uh, started working with Ronnie and Suzanne. And, and I, I see Rick a couple of times a year, Ronnie a couple of times a year, you know, Susanna doesn't travel as much with Ronnie as she once did. Um, you, you learn from these people. Mm-hmm. You learn. And, you know, they've seen a thousand dogs. You know, maybe I've seen 50, you know, been, you know, like hands on training with knobs. That's that's some pretty good knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I enjoyed it. I, I never, I didn't say twenty years ago is where I'm going to be. Right. You know, I always, you know, I always wanted to do more with the dogs. I wanted to get into the bird hunting, but I, you know, I was big game hunting, archery hunting around the country for thirty years, twenty mm-hmm. thirty years. And I finally said, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta really see what these dogs can do. Right. Right. where they can take me right uh, it's, it's been it's been a fun ride it's been enjoyable well i i'm here for it i'm gonna give you i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a couple more questions at you i know we've been on for a while because i could talk now <laughs> um, i'm seeing that as i'm i'm sure you're seeing that with me too but i don't mind I, you know you cut me short when you need to hey no I'm, I'm 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 gonna let you pour out but my buddy um is a very good friend of mine joe plody um number one 
he asked if I can put you in contact with him. Um, he's a very good guy. I think you guys would have a lot of good conversations. Um, but okay. And, and thank you. So he wanted to know if, you know, if there's anything, cause you, you, you've done well in the duck search and he's getting into NAVDA. Now he did a lot of American field, so on and so forth. He's got Britney's got a couple of pointers. Um, you know, was, was there any any one particular thing that you did special with your duck search for Britney's? Um, he was trying to get a hold of you, and he he wanted me to make sure um, to ask that on this podcast. It, was it a matter of just having a dog that was just naturally inclined to doing it more, or or, or was there like a a little tweak to the system? So, like I said, my my Cody dog, the father of uh, Maggie and Spruce. He was just a natural, you know, and he was doing it before I even knew what the duck search was. And, uh, but, but there is an introduction, there's a process, there's a procedure, just like you're working a dog up in the field. Um, so Perry Masadi has been like, you know, like my guru mm-hmm. going through this knob, the system. So basically, you know, when I, when, when Perry and I get really working on this UT stuff, and then the invitational, my dogs have a solid foundation. We're not, you know, we're not really teaching that. Mm-hmm. He's exposing me to methods and means of how he has had his success with these dogs. And he's one of our clinic leaders at our local chapter. Uh, and he puts a lot of time in with a lot of people and a lot of their dogs. Um, and, you know, without, without him, I probably would have, not probably, I would not have been as fortunate and successful in the mob to testing. Uh, Perry's a psychotherapist. That was his career. He's retired now. So he puts quite a mindset on the dogs. You know, and, and when we're training for tests, when I'm training for tests, I'm on the phone with him a lot. Right. You know, we're dog behavior and, and we're specific to our dogs and maybe some of the dogs, you know, within our chapters we're trained. But yeah, I mean, the duck search, it's basically introducing that you got to get the dog in the water. So natural ability, you're gonna have a dog, the dog has to enter the water. Doesn't have to do anything but get in the water, swim, and come back. Um, but the duck search, you better plan on having that dog staying in the water looking for ducks half an hour, forty minutes if you want to be really successful in a test on the duck search. Right. Now you don't have to be out there that long on a test, but you know, you, oh, overtrain is the word, but you don't you know, you're training beyond your needs for the yeah. test. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but have him give me a shout, reach out to me, and I, you know, I could help him get some pointers. And you know, you get a local nod to chapter. But it's basically just planting ducks in a swamp, and you start close. Yeah, you know, they've got to have that drive. We introduce dogs to ducks on land. Now, are are these are these dead ducks? Are they shackled? Uh, how are you doing that? Um, live ducks. You know, you shot you you, you pull flight feathers. Okay. The feathers will grow back. Um, you know, it's it's the, the ducks healthy, but you need ducks. Right. You need a lot of ducks. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, the invitational, it's it's all retriever stuff. There's no live water valve. You know, it's double mark. It's, it's uh, blind retrieve. So it's all, you know, expired ducks. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, Perry, 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 Perry was an ace. Man. Now, uh, 
let's let's get into Perry Masadi. What? All right, because I know you you've learned a ton from him, and, and I, I've I've seen it in the photo. His photos are awesome, um, the ones that you sent. But what would be maybe the main? Give me three things that you've pulled from him that were probably the most stand out for you and your dogs. Um, duck search methods. Like I said, Cody was doing it. Okay. Um, we started with oak, and you're basically just tossing a white, you know, feather pulled duck out in the swamp, taking a shot, you know, spreading shot across the water. You steal shot. Dog sees that, you know, sees a duck, you know, the dog, the dog has to be pumped up. Yeah. You know, I say when you get a dog around water with duck search, forget the discipline. Let that dog pull you into the water. Let that dog jump in the water. Forget about discipline. That dog is all about going forward and away. Am I making sense with that? Yeah. Yep. Now I'm talking, you know, when I introduced these dogs, they're, you know, they're healing 50, 60 yards walking into the swamp. Mm -hmm. You know, their, their foundation is pretty solid. But when you get to that duck water, they're, you know, it's almost like it's complete separation, complete independence. And again, you, you know, that's built up with ducks on the shore. Let them chase them. Let them grab them. You know, um, you know, don't be worried about how they're retrieving. If they want to run off with the duck, let them run off with the duck. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't, you know, just don't let them you know, rip it apart. But And if they do, they do. Right. But you want to create that desire for the duck and that prey drive because they're hunting the swamp. Right. They'll get in that swamp and they, you know, they just can't go across the swamp and come back. They've got to span out. Go to the right, go to the left, get into the, you know, the lily pads, the down trees, you know, the mud. No, so, and the only thing's going to do that is drive. Right. Right. So the the dog's got to have it. Now, it's a, I'm going to elaborate for, further because, <laughs> like I said, I could go down a rabbit hole. Um, a, another listener just hit me up and, and asked me to ask you, um, his, his name is Baylor, Troy Baylor. Um, in, in regards to the duck search, he says he has a four month old G at German short hair, um, that loves to pick up birds on retrieves, um, you know, during the summertime and stuff like that. But December, that dog is, is not really interested in, in water retrieves and things like that. Now, my thought would be that it's just too cold. Well, we're, um, what part of the country? Uh, that's a good question. I, if it, I, I know it ain't Georgia. <laughs> well, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's probably cold. <laughs> that may not be the time and place you want to train for that. Yeah. I mean, it's a short hair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, there's not much, you know, bird air protection. Mm. Um, yeah. You, you know, I mean, my dogs will go in some cold water, but there's limits to it, even when we duck hunt. Right. And I don't do a lot of it, but you know, I really don't have a desire of going out in, you know, 20-degree <laughs> weather and having them dog get in 40, you know, 45, 50-degree water or colder. Right. Um, they'll do it. You know, we vest them up when we have means of drying them. But you just have to be sensible and reasonable about that. Mm-hmm. And certainly do not force that dog into the water. Right. Now, it might shy them right away from the from the duck search from all of that again it's it's all independence and desire this duck search stuff yep you know somebody might say well so is the field work i mean yes but you know we're going specific to duck search 
independence and desire. That dog needs to go. So, do you, you know, I mean, so you walk a dog to the duck search, right? Mm-hmm. Buy a leash, you get it to shore, got your judges with you, one's with you. All right, get your dog ready. Dogs, you know, dog's not supposed to stay at your side till you release, whether it's fetch or search or whatever the word is. And once that dog leaves you, again, you might as well just order lunch and sit back. <laughs> just hang out. Can't You can't do anything. But which, and you want that dog to just go. Yeah. You know, that the most contact you want with that dog is for it to look back at you. And if the dog does get into a duck and they're chasing it um, and it catches it, the dog does need to retrieve it back to you. Right. So, you know, it's not 100% just forget about the dog once it's in the water. But I'm trying to emphasize a point. Let that dog go forward and away. Right. So, you know, don't heal it to the water, you know, um, as far as introduction goes. And again, you're reading that dog. And, you know, sometimes you might have to throw a duck, you know, 20 feet in the water, um, whatever. And again, this this introduction starts on land, you know, uh, and it's about the, you know, it depends on the dog. Now, with my dogs, we basically just got them to the water because they were swimming. They were like in the water. I mean, I get in my kayak. I got a pond right by my house and, you know, I'll just start paddling around and I got three, four dogs with me. Uh, and we do have duck and geese, you know, flying by, landing. So they, you know, they're exposed to that. And, and, and just doing it like that. Okay. Duck search is, is my favorite part of novice. Right. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's a very, very, very challenging thing. And it is very challenging. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, and it's, it'd be different if you were, you know, somebody like me, I've, I've got a lab, like I, I, I kind of expect him to do certain things, you know, that, that are just, I, I would be more upset if I had a Labrador that didn't like searching for ducks in those conditions. But what you're doing with, with the point and breeds, that's really not necessarily in their nature, but that drive is, is overcoming that, in, that, you know what's what they're not necessarily built for you see what i'm saying that dog wants that bird bad enough to say okay i understand that this is out of my comfort zone but we gonna still get it done <laughs> well you know as ronnie said to me as brett arrington said, you know, why are you taking these perfectly good field dogs hunting dogs and taking them into this water work mm-hmm. you know um yeah, just something that I was enjoying, and it was kind of, you know, it's a game we were playing locally. Right, right. I'm, I'm 25 minutes from our training grounds. So why not do it? <laughs> Between the two clubs, I could train, you know, twice from Friday to Saturday, Sunday, depending on what day the different club has the grounds. So there's a lot of opportunity, and, and these grounds have fields, they have swamps, ponds. So there's, you know, you have a lot of opportunity in that, you know, an eight, 10 hour training day, right. sometimes 12 hours. And then you're getting a lot done. So let me, let, let's, let's transition a little bit. Let's transition. Cause this is the, the geeky side of me now, <laughs> the nerdy bird dog side of me. I want to really get into some history um, that, you know, about the American Brittany. Okay. Um, there's been that whole thing calling into Brittany Spaniel and blah, 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 blah. But, Talk about the foundations and what made that breed 
interesting to people because looking back and I did my research um, before we spoke um, coming from the Britney Club of America, some of the things that they were saying was a setter being bred to the Spaniel to enhance the nose of the Spaniel and his staunchness um, and, and making them more useful in the field. And, and there was a tendency towards a short tail um, just because it was less likely to get torn up. And I can tell you all about that because my dog, his tail gets torn up all the time. <laughs> so, um, you know, there were those guys that, that wanted that dog because they didn't want something that was flushing like spaniels, but it seems like they wanted that body style. That's how I interpreted it. Now, please do correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> You're pretty much on it. So, you know, over the years of having these dogs and, you know, speaking of them and, you know, part of the American Brittany Club, you know, I'm certainly a member of that. And although they do not recognize a knob, the dog is just a knob, the title huh. to get any recognition at the American Brittany Club. And it's not a knock because that's what they do. You know, uh, they recognize knob, the dogs that are also participating in the AKC American Brittany Club sponsored events, sanctioned events, show, contest field trial agility you know whatever they do so um you know i'm kind of there's really nowhere i'm going within the american Brittany club as far as having vcs and that's fine you know but it's it's a good magazine for the breed it's a good organization for the breed so the Brittany's originated in france right mm -hmm. and um in europe i think you know the english would bring their dogs over there because they had Woodcock and uh, I guess just game that they didn't have in in the UK. And they would leave their dogs there. So they were coming over with pointers and setters. Right. And it was some type of a spaniel that was in France. So somewhere along the line, you know, uh, by on purpose or accidental, dogs were breeding. Um, and I, I think it's, when you look over the years of dog breeding, I mean, all our dogs in America came from some other dogs, right? Okay. So um, you've got to give credit for the guys that were with these dogs back in the, you know, 19, early 1900s, 1800s, you know, coming up with these breeds. You know, and uh, so, yes, I believe the Brittany was from Setter and Spaniel. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to enhance the staunchness, the noses. It's not disappointing. And I guess that's how they came up with the Brittany. Now, I was doing some reading. And I read something that there's paintings and tapestries going back to the 17th century of dogs that are similar to the Brittany. Really? Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I'm only reading. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> right. So the Brittany was actually recognized in France in 1907. Came to America 1930s. Or recognized in America, and the AKC approved it mid thirties, uh, and it was the Brittany Spaniel. So it obviously had to have. So I think part of it was there's the Espanol, Breton Espanol, Espanol, right. but I think it was translated to Spaniel. I, it, doesn't it mean like just a French pointer or something like that? It's something very simple. Yes, but it's not. It doesn't mean Spaniel. Uh, but you know. The World Wars brought a lot of our a lot of the dog breeds back here, right? And you know, 
being in America, you're going to get Americanized, right? So the Brittany got larger, longer legs, you know, the, the grasslands and the plains, Midwest and out West. Um, and, it, you know, however they were breeding it, they say it could have been a pointer, setter. Um, they got here somehow. Right. I mean, you know, you've got Britneys out there from 35 pounds. The dogs like mine, you know, the males are 55 pounds. Right. And um, you know, I've had two or three of the males that were 50 plus. I didn't, you know, that was nothing I really created or wanted. It's just what I ended up with. And, you know, it's my desire. Right. It's just, just the, the, the way that the dice rolled on that one. Yeah. And, and even friends of mine that have Brits that are 35, 40 pounds. They're no less hunting quality or testing quality than my dogs. Right. You know, it's, it's what the guys are exposed, the girls are exposing them to. Mm-hmm. But, wow. um, yeah, so, and then in, in 82, they dropped the Spaniel because it was a pointing dog. And I guess there's, pers- you know, it's personalities, it's personal involved, who's ever, you know, running these clubs and organizations have a desire. Mm-hmm. So you're going to push for what, you know, makes you feel good and what your desire is. But I believe, you know, since you're, since I think they've always been pointing dogs. Now, I don't know how the heck the tails became short, but very, very few Britneys are born with bob tails. Very few. Right. So they're, and, and those tails are long and, and, and they're getting docked. But, huh. I, I, I don't really understand it. Like, how do you breed for that? Wait, how do you, how do you get a dog without a tail? Right. I mean, is there any breed out there of, of any type of dog that truly has a bobtail? Or, or, or is man, you know, are we as humans bobbing them? No, we're, I thought, I've always thought that we were just doing it ourselves. That was my belief. <laughs> but, you, you know, know, I mean, I, I don't know. That'd be interesting. I want to see if that's actually a thing. Like, if there are actually dogs with bobtails. You know, there's other breeds out there, um, but I think I think we're doing it, right? And you know, I like it. Yeah, I'm okay with it, right? Well, and and the the reason I like a long tailed dog down here, I can see him. I mean, I, I like a white dog, and I like a dog with a tail. <laughs> At two, three hundred something yards away, I need to be able to see you. You know, listen. There's nothing prettier. I mean, you know, then an English pointer, you know, locked. There's mm-hmm. nothing. I mean, you could see that dog's muscle, you know, high tail. I mean, even an English setter, you know, high yeah. tail. Um, listen, I like to see my dogs on point. <laughs> Their breeding is for that. Yeah. You know, the Brittany was a poacher's dog back in Europe. Yeah. And the way I've read it and understood yeah. it is, you know, poor people had the Britneys because, you know, the landowners and it was royalty, but the wealthy, you know, the working people, they couldn't have the pointers, you know, the, the, the famous breeds at that point, whatever they were. Right. So the peasants, let's say, were taking these dogs and they were getting squirrels and duck and birds and rabbits. And they were basically poaching on, on land they shouldn't have been, but it was not a real appealing dog at the time. They, it was a dog Small that needed dog, to get furry a job. dog. Yeah. No, they were probably making fun of the dog. That dog's got no tail. Right. 
<laughs> but really, <laughs> if we needed to get out of Dodge, I could pick you up and throw you in a bag and let's get on. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're 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 out taking a walk, and you know, what's that dog? Uh, nothing. And then you know, <laughs> the dog. At, and and in the early years in Europe, these dogs were used, and they were netting birds. Yep. Yep. You know, and it, actually, a dog would squat and leg when it got into. I'm going to say a covey of birds, whatever game bird it was. Mm -hmm. And the uh, hunters were netting the birds along with the dog. Right. Imagine that. Right. Well, it, I mean, if you look back at, I mean, you've got to find the artwork, but there's some images out there where you see setters and they are, are set. Like they're crouched down like that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's their point. Yeah. And listen, what, you know, a point is a hesitation to a stalk. Mm-hmm. All we're doing is just taking that that stalk out of the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, they're they're a product of man, and you know, so, not them, but what we're doing, mm -hmm. what the dog's doing. But again, this was all created, which I think what got all this stuff popular was the games, right? The testing. You know, people like to play, right? Right. Sports, well, athletic. I mean, if you go back, so I'm a big fan of. Um, AF Hotchwalt. Like I'm a I, I I love dog history and he's written a ton of them. I just got um the modern pointer and I got bird dogs, their history and accomplishments. It, like I, I read stuff and I try to even I'm I'm a nerd about it. I try to get the earliest versions of the book. But when I look back at all of this stuff, especially for pointers, just like they were over in Europe. When they came over here, they were dogs for honestly more affluent people. Yeah, and, absolutely. And 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 they wanted when when you have that, just like it ain't a whole lot of rich people that are, you know, that are probably driving Honda Civics. They they wanted something that not only did its job and did its job well, but then looked awesome doing it. It's just like thoroughbred horses. It's bragging rights. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> it's bragging rights. And, yeah, you know, the guys back in the day, in the early days of field trial, you know, it was, you know, you got to have horses and, and wagons and judges. I mean, Delmar said they would start a field trial day in his town, a big cabin, and they'd go from field to field, race after brace, covey to covey, all wild quail, yep. and they'd end up in Veneta. Mm -hmm. He showed. I mean, I he, I jumped in the truck with him one day, and he took me around, and it was a great story. I should write something on. I actually did, but I haven't done anything with it. Um, showed me where the building was, where they'd stop for lunch, which was like you know half time. That building burnt down, and they'd finish up in Venita, have dinner, and they'd announce you know the winners. So uh, an all wild quail. Yeah, you know, it was the oil boom. So there was a lot of money out there, you know, and it's just where he grew up. Mm -hmm. He got playing the game and he was very successful at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's like here in Atlanta where a lot of guys come out of here. They're really, really good basketball players or very heavily involved in the music industry. Well, that's all that's here. Right. You see, so if it's association, you know, it, right? It's literally association. So if that's all you're around, you know, I, I try to tell people all the time with 
especially with field trial and you, you meet guys that are like, Oh, well this method isn't this and that dog isn't this. And my dog, you, you always get the, my dog is better syndrome. And, and there is, it's fun to a degree, right? Like it's fun when it's fun. And then after a while it gets a little offensive. Well, it, it gets that way because the regional differences that people have um, with dogs. My dog is not going to look like yours, Rick. Like we don't hunt grouse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And 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 I, all we do is hunt wild quail down here in Georgia. And he looks like a quail dog. I if I take him out to Montana or or the Dakotas, he's not gonna look like a sharp tailed dog. Yeah. You know, and and it's it's literally just association. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is when I took my dog to this plantation, I'm going to start guiding at those are released birds. They're not wild. So it took him a, a second to adjust to that because he was hunting that field as if he was on wild birds. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all it is is association that it, they adapt. They will adapt. Yep. You, know, you give them a little time and exposure. They'll adapt. So, you know, one day I'm hunting, I'm guiding, you know, field birds and two feet of snow with my dog. Three days later, I'm in the grouse woods, you know, with uh, crusty ice and snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. And the dog's fine. Yeah. Dog's fine. I might take a little adjustment, but again, my dogs are close to five years old, so they're pretty much used to the different exposures, you know, they've had with me. Right. They know, they know the woods are this game and the fields you know planted birds are another game right right i mean just you know it's it just it's whatever venue you're participating in but seriously and we we've got to make sure that we give these dogs the credit for their intelligence i mean you know i don't i don't really like subscribing to the oh i messed up my dog now i think there are certain things certain things you can do to a dog to where it is just unrecoverable. But to me, as long as you're taking those incremental steps and you're being smart about it, it's it's real hard to for me to justify saying, oh, I messed this dog up. I, I feel like that is an insult to their intelligence. I really do. You know. Um, yeah. Um, but people, I've seen people make mistakes and, you know, it, it takes some recovery to get the dog back, but that but that handler has to recognize right. what what's going on, and that's that's where I think you know people fall short. They're not recognizing really what the dog is doing in front of. Them. That's mm-hmm. not a knock on anybody. You know, I I didn't know what I was doing when I started doing it. I'm guilty as as well, but I'm slow. You know, what I mean, I, I probably take a little longer and, and go over steps because I'm conscious of, you know, mm-hmm. messing a dog up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it does take a lot to hurt a dog. I mean, you, you, you know, it, it, it's not generally just one incident either, right. or one circumstance. Right. right. But the information out there today is, it's, there's no excuse not to get information. Get to these training clubs. Get to a pro. You know, it's. I have people asking, well, how do you do this? Well. I could tell you, you know, you, there's no way you're going to, if you're, if you're a newbie at it, you're not going to go home and get this. Nope. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, unless you're really reading, watching videos, uh, I mean, I did the train retrieve on, uh, Oh, which was 
truly the first dog I ever did a train retrieve on, and it was off Delmer Smith's video. I watched it 60, 70 times. I mean, just over and over. I know that sounds crazy, but over and over again. Do you know how many times I've I've read Delmar's book back back to front? Back front. Yep. <laughs> I actually had two of his books. One he signed, one he did, and that was what, the one I take out the field. <laughs> and I think I gave that book to somebody. I have. I just bought. Um, I have one of his. I have the same book twice, but. The one that I marked in and all of that, I felt so bad about marking in it because I value it so much. I went on Amazon and found like one that was in like almost like new condition and it had his signature in it. <laughs> so really, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. So that one is is a is a, a, a dust collector. It's gonna sit on the shelf, but um, my my other one is the one that I actually take out with me and uh, I keep it near and dear. So yeah, um, Delmore. Yeah, he 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 did something. Yeah, he really did something. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I I think we we definitely owe a debt of gratitude, you know, to him and to the family. I mean, all of them. Um, but I know you and I can sit here and talk for hours about the Smith method, and and it's funny we hunt two different areas, two different types of birds, and it still applies across the board. You know, yeah. so um, that's it. Same we'll, dog. Same, yeah. Still the same four-legged creature, just That's doing it. something different. That's it. That's it. Well, Rick, I mean, leave something, leave something great for the listeners because I, 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 I enjoyed this podcast. Um, and I, as I told Jerry when I first met him, I'm always a phone call away, and you were stuck with me. <laughs> so, now this has been great, but I would say just get a Brittany, and, and you don't have to do nothing. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> there, and, and there it is. <laughs> what, whatever bird dog you have, whatever breed, whatever you want to do with that bird dog, if it's testing, trialing, hunt, test, knob, to learn how to train a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think going to a seminar, you know, hands-on uh, is your best bet. Now, going through so many Smith seminars for so many years, you know, you see a lot of good dogs and a lot of good people. They'll go to one seminar. They'll never come back. And it's a high percentage, you know, of people and dogs that don't continue on. Now they may get another method. You know, again, people have families, jobs. It's, it's time. It's tough. Right. You know, kids are running around in school, sports, again, traveling for our jobs. But if you truly, truly want to get a dog to hunt with or test with, um, you got to learn a method. Yep. You got to learn something, you know, even if, listen, you could work with three trainers and end up with your own method. There you go. Now, and again, books, videos are valuable. Um, your local hunt clubs, you know, a club that has training, has grounds to train on, that's your best bet. Right. Right. Just, just, Help that dog learn. You know, I, I, one of one of the biggest attributes uh, in my training and handling, and in the hunting and Navda, and again, it's one of the three things that the Smith boys tell you: just get your dog to stand still. There you go. Stand still. And again, there's ways of doing that, but it's uh, 
it goes so far. Mm-hmm. It goes so far. Getting that dog to stop helps with the woe, the heel. You know, stay in and out of the crate of the vehicle, mm-hmm. in and out of the kennel. Have that dog stand still. Mm-hmm. You know, can can I can I add that add something to that real quick? Sure. So. In, in light of getting that dog to stand still and really highlighting that, um, another book that I like reading is Wing and Shot by Robert Whaley. I, I, I'm a Robert yep. Whaley junkie, okay? Um, in I his, browsed through that. Oh, it, it's another one of those classics that, that I kind of keep in my back pocket. <laughs> but, um, I and I'm, I'm a little bit more obsessed with it because my dog comes from like he's a descendant of Snakefoot and some of his really, really nice dogs. Um, I, I got caught up into that whole Snakefoot thing. But in that book, Whaley, I think it was either either in Wing and Shot or it was in his Snakefoot book. I can't remember which one, but it's one of the two. But he's, he talks about a dog going on point, you know, point quail or something like that. And he'll just let that dog sit there for like, 20 10 15 20 something minutes just pointing absolutely and just not doing Don't anything be in a hurry. else Mm-mm. and and, and, and all my skill training my woe i'm sorry no, is is not around birds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just not with birds present mm-hmm. it's yard work out in the field just stand still yep and again i'm not mm-hmm. cutting any anything else short but i most Biggest problem I see people having with dogs in the field thrown on the training days is steadiness. Yep. And I see I you know I see people season after season fighting. Yep. Well, and I I I made it a point when I got my dog. I, I I'm fortunate enough and blessed to know where wild cubbies and quail are here in Georgia, which is a bit it, it can be a bit of a rarity at times. Um, and, and I, I, I went a little bit out of the book, but I just let that dog run. And honestly, I let him knock birds until he figured himself out and he stood tall as all get out. But it, 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 the dog's got to learn one way or another. However you go about it to stand still, if you don't stand there are no birds in the bag. <laughs> the other thing in training that I that I see a lot, again, we're all amateurs that mostly that I'm training with, and you know, not that I'm above or better than anybody, but um, let your dog make the mistake. Yep. Give the dog an opportunity to do it or not do it. I see a lot of people handling, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. you're you're almost correcting the dog that didn't make the mistake, you know. You understand what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're predetermining something. Let let the dog see what's happening. Let the dog make the mistake and correct it at that moment. But don't, you know, don't correct the dog because the dog may not need correcting, right. whether it's verbally or, you know, stimulation-wise, collar-wise, check cord-wise, whatever. But again, le- learn a system. Learn a method. And once Your dog you will like you. Absolutely. Well, Rick, it has been a pleasure, my friend. It Same is here. it has truly been a pleasure. Um and I want to make sure 
Um, I get you in contact with my buddy Plody, but also, um, how can listeners get a hold of you or, or, or find you at your NAVDA chapter? Like how, how can folks, you know, get back in touch with you? Social media, Facebook. Okay. Okay. So Rick is a nickname. It's Eric Afuso. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, the project upland stuff all about the dog. That's you Google that up. And I, I guess, I guess I pop up with some of that stuff. You do. <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> I don't, I don't actually go look for that stuff, but this is a pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry spoke highly of you, and I'm glad we kind of got together and, and had a five-minute chat, Darrell. Hey, look. <laughs> five minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a five-minute chat. We, we, we sure did. <laughs> no, <laughs> enjoyable. Uh, anything I can do, and you know, I just enjoy sharing the dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy doing it. Uh so right now I have no training, no testing. I got to get a pup. Oh, see, look, go ahead and go get, go get you one of them long tails, man. Or you can go get you a red and white Brittany, as you said. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how Jerry goes, but I'm actually looking to breed my dog spruce. Okay. And I'm going to try working on a kind of an announcement on that. Okay. See if we could find him a couple of girlfriends around the country and, you know, maybe within the year or so, uh, be time for another pup but it's, it's nice just hunting these dogs this season mm-hmm. you know no testing no training just just having fun with them not that the training isn't but there's the stress and pressure to test too right uh, but just enjoying the training now and seeing these dogs just do what they want to do and love to do and that's fun there you go there you go well look i'm i'm looking forward to what your next pup is going to look like. And you have to let me know when that process starts. I'm, I'm definitely interested. Yeah. We'll keep together. Okay. And we got to exchange some hunts, my friend. Oh, look, I need to come up North. Um, I've already made that promise to Jerry anyway, and you come to Georgia and I will definitely get you into some birds. Yeah, man. I'd love it. Yeah. Really would love it. I'm, I'm definitely, you, you have my word on that one and let's stay in touch. Um, like I said, you, you got a friend in me, man. Yeah. Same here. And I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and I think our paths will be crossing sooner than later. Oh, yeah. I, I fully believe that. <laughs> I fully believe it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast with Rick Afuso. Um, I, I know y'all enjoyed this episode and there was so much to take away from it. So in that, I will catch you guys next week. That's just another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. I really hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, just a special shout out to all of my sponsors, Onyx Maps, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Lion Country Supply, Garmin, Dakota 283 Kennels, good folks at the Northwoods Collective, Joe Plody, and last but absolutely not least, my support system, Miss Ashley. So thank y'all again, and I look forward to next week.